Hi, welcome to Connecting the Dots, the podcast where we share our stories from the battlefield of consulting. I'm your host, Johnny Hill. Hi, I'm Chris LaCava. I'm Sebastian Good. I'm Phil Gambling. I'm Thomas Yarnall. Today, we're talking all about ChatGPT, and this introduction was not written by ChatGPT. Let's get started. Quick disclaimer before we get started. ChatGPT4 was announced shortly after we recorded this episode, and not long after that, more announcements were made regarding plugin support and other updates for ChatGPT. Needless to say, the world of artificial intelligence and ChatGPT in particular is moving incredibly quickly, and there's a lot more to say on this topic than we had time for in this episode, and even more about things that we didn't know about when we first recorded. So, if you're interested in hearing more of our thoughts on these topics and other developments in this space, let us know on Twitter at Expiro Inc. or via email at podcast at expiroinc.com. We'd love to keep talking about this topic if there's interest, so please let us know. Thanks and enjoy the show. So for any of our listeners who aren't particularly familiar, or if maybe this is something new to them, uh, what exactly is ChatGPT? Why are so many people talking about it? Why is it a big deal? Let's talk a little bit about that. Well, I'll start with that one because I did some homework. So <laughs> ChatGPT stands for Chat Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. So it's kind of a mouthful. ChatGPT is definitely a better way to refer to it. Right. And it's a large language model developed by OpenAI, which is this uh, artificial intelligence research organization founded by several people, including, I didn't know this, Elon Musk. Um, and so... ChatGPT is this type of AI language model that's capable of generating human-like responses to text prompts. And I think what why it's so powerful is it's been trained on a massive amount of text data from the internet, from books, from articles, from websites, and it's able to continuously learn from this data in order to generate new text. And, and I think it's it's been it's gotten so much attention because it's really impressive uh, in how it performs in a variety of tasks, like question answering, translations, conversations. It can write poetry. It can even write code, which is, you know, obviously scares a lot of us. Um, <laughs> so there's just like a lot of potential implications where this can fit into everyday life. I think it kind of gets a lot of attention. This is a little bit uh, philosophical maybe because We've been creating alien intelligence for years now, right? You know, I was a lot younger the first time we figured out that humans weren't going to uh, win chess games anymore, right? There was like some sort of profound intelligence that got created there, but you could only really appreciate it if you were a super chess guy. And there's been a bunch of other things like image recognition, but that's so familiar to us, it didn't seem strange. Oh, yeah, of course, the computer can figure out that that's a picture of a bridge or what have you, uh, mostly. But ChatGPT talks to us the way we talk, right? It literally talks to us. And I think it's fascinating because there's obviously some intelligence behind there. It has some real limitations and strengths, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But like, in a way, for me, I think it's amazing because it's the first time people felt like they talked to one of these artificial intelligence that was a little bit like them. Yeah, it didn't fall into the traps of some of its predecessors either. Like it's got this whole moderation API that seems to make it a little bit more nimble and trainable. Whereas like 
Do you guys remember uh, Microsoft Tay, that whole debacle? Yeah. That Is that the one that they turned into a Nazi on accident? Like yeah, within like, like went, a few oh hours. Yeah. <laughs> so the the whole thing with open ai is is it has this like the, the reinforcement learning it does is moderated so it supposedly sidesteps a lot of the pitfalls that some of the pre predecessors fell into um having said that like people are already posting stuff about how to work around that and get it to mm -hmm. do all the nasty things that all the other ones do just like we can do with people right sure yeah yeah i think it's interesting that like if someone were to initially tell me, hey, in 2023, a chatbot is going to change the world or come about and bring a whole <laughs> bunch of crazy revelations and freak a lot of people out, I'd be like, why? Like, it's just a chatbot. It's just something that you talk to and you get an answer back. But I think the the key that uh, is worth considering that kind of Phil mentioned is is the data that it's trained on and the the human in the loop kind of reinforcement, moderating things to make it particularly useful. I think that's part of why this is it feels different and it feels more powerful is because of the way that it's been approached and architected is much more lends itself to a much more powerful overall experience yeah it's yeah. super useful like i know a lot of people that use it to generate content content that mm -hmm. they could generate it's just like if you pipe some stuff in and it's it gives you the bones of an argument for yeah. you know a narrative or whatever it's really good at it yeah, that first or second draft. I mean, yeah, I, beginning of the year, I didn't expect that I would have already started to rely on it for just drafting some emails, just in personal life. There's a few times I'm like, well, let me just throw this at chat GPT. And yeah, that's a perfect skeleton, like you said, of what I'm trying to like uh, phrase and communicate to this person. Let me start with that and then tweak it. And mm -hmm. it saved me a lot of time, you know, getting past that like blank canvas syndrome of trying to figure out, well, where do I start? It's like, yeah, the tone is like consistent and even brings up valid ways of rearranging. I mean, you have, I don't know if you've tried this, like take something you are trying to uh, improve and just throw it at chat GPT. How would you improve this? And it does. <laughs> it's like, it gives you much better, better wording or kind of points out things that you are, um, you know, I mean, it can be way off, but it's just, it's just very useful already. And this is just a beta. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. The difference between uh, Chat GPT two and three was sixteen months, and the the amount of um, improvement is insane between those two. So just think where we're going to be in like I don't know. We're probably eight months into the release from for three. Just imagine what four is going to be like. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that's also particularly interesting, at least for me, is the thought of you know in the past interacting with these kinds of systems. I felt like you had to be very specific in particular, like thinking about talking to um, Siri, like in order to get Siri to actually answer my question, you need to be very like methodical about how you ask. Otherwise it's just garbage. Yeah. And I feel like there's a, there's a key difference between that and this, where this is much more able to kind of infer and understand a poorly phrased question mm -hmm. or query. And to kind of extrapolate that in a meaningful way, rather than just saying, here's what I found on Google for, you know, that kind of a thing. So I don't know, I feel like that's another key differentiator is the ease of entry or like the, the barrier to entry is much lower because it's much more able to understand and kind of interact with you in a natural way. And you don't have to spend as much time trying to like craft the perfect query, so to speak. What's kind of yeah, interesting yeah. in some of the uh, API, like they just released an API now and some of their examples, the examples are you basically like prime it 
with just more human language to set the context. It's less even programming as like, hey, you are this type of, you're playing this kind of role, you know, answer these, your all future responses answered like with this in mind. So it's like, yeah, you're not like, whereas a few years ago, I went and learned about uh, creating chatbots and gave a talk on it. And it was interesting, but I remember coming out of that thinking like, it's very limited on what it can understand. And there was a lot of just tinkering and manual manipulation to get it to even seem conversational. This is like effortless. Yeah. Do you guys ever uh, like dream about something like in your dream, you think you've figured it out. And then when you wake up, it kind of vanishes from you. Some of that's just how dreaming works, I guess. But I feel like uh, ChatGPT does that. It's willing to take your very half-baked notion and integrate all the everything it learned from everywhere, all over the internet, and say, "Sure, I'll, I'll try to guess what the heck you're talking about," mm-hmm. and uh, and come up with something. And sometimes it's as stupid as random dreams are, but often it just is. It. I love what you said, Phil, about like the blank canvas. I've talked about it as being like the ultimate writer's block cure, because it will just wade right into your nonsense and say, well, "What about this?" Uh, and that's a great way to start uh, <laughs> writing, even if it's not actually what you meant. I think it's really interesting. Of course, all uh, universities are worried about students now using this to write all of their papers and right. trying to detect if students are writing it with ChatGPT or not. Wow. And I think it's also interesting because a, a friend of mine is a teacher and he's started using it to help generate lesson plans or generate activities and, and ideas for things for his students to do. Um, so the implications of that and applications are incredibly wide and varied couldn't you uh just ask chat gpt hey did you write this <laughs> yeah, there, there have been posts and people saying like hey a professor told me that my my paper got flagged in the system as being written by chat gpt but it wasn't and then you know they they try asking chat gpt to write a paper but in a different style and then it doesn't get flagged so <laughs> <Yep>. it's <laughs> Yeah, academia is freaking out. I mean, it's not just the implications of like plagiarism or whatever you call chat AI generated stuff, but also like there, I saw a YouTube video where there was a kid that couldn't understand his math homework. And so he just took the problem and he posted it into ChatGPT and it gave him the answer, but it also gave him this explanation of how to do it. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, I wish my teacher would have done that. And like, if you compare that to what would the pre-chat GPT alternative have been, okay, maybe I'll look it up on YouTube, Khan Academy or something would explain it. So it's like, is that any different? If I came away with that understanding and I was able to either learn or as a teacher communicate my ideas effectively, it's like, did chat GPT do it? Did I do it? Or does it even matter? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It raises the question of what is a value, knowledge or understanding? But that might be too profound for the scope of this conversation. <laughs> All I know is that if they're not teaching my kids how to use it in school next school year, something's gone very wrong because they they figured out kids have to learn how to type. They figured out kids have to learn how to use search engines. They figured out kids have to learn to weigh the uh, the credibility of different sources they find on the Internet. They've taught how kids to use how a calculator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So h- how about you use this brain on a leash? You've got to do it. I mean, so kind of able to recognize when it's right and when it's wrong because oh, it's it's a hundred percent confident all of the time, but <laughs> it, lies. Totally lies. it can give you terrible information, yeah. and being able to work around that and recognize ah, that that doesn't sound right at all. And that's yeah, still let's... a life skill because how many people do you run into 
on a daily basis who will speak with <laughs> other, like utmost confidence, but you know, it's complete BS. I mean, chat GPT just is that person like anyone else. You still have to be able yeah. to drive the difference between BS and uh, accuracy. That's a really yeah. good, a good transition into, yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Like, obviously this tool is incredibly powerful. A lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people are using it and finding useful cases for it in their everyday lives but there also are very real limitations and issues with it. Let's talk a little bit about that and kind of how to gauge that, how to interact with that while still finding value in it. Yeah, the thing that scares me the most about it is how prolific it can be. So like think of like all the fake news stuff that we had to deal with, you know, a few years ago and and now it's not gone, but that was for the most part, um, people generating a lot of that stuff. Now this thing can just generate gobs of it. And um, just having that much content kind of in the ether, it, whether it's true or not, it just becomes part of the collective consciousness. And then people start regurgitating that. And it just, you know, it's it has the potential of snowball where, the, you know, some of the stuff that we deal with around veracity and news sources and all that stuff just gets way more complicated. Yeah, it just floods. The, it, it may flood the field with well-intentioned, but still nonsensical information until that's sort of like you read sometimes about Russian propaganda techniques. It's not that the, you know, the old Soviet Union, uh, you know, they knew they were broadcasting a lot of lies, but really broadcasting so much lying and so much fact all the time. It's kind of like, well, I'm just too tired to keep up. If, if you have too much of this sort of artificially generated content, it'll be really hard to know, even if some of it's right, what you can do with it. I have found that it works pretty darn well in synthesis tasks. So tell me, you know, what you think about this trend or help me write this kind of letter because there's lots of, you know, templates and stuff out there. More specific of a question you ask it, you know, the ultimate example being like math, which it basically can't do, um, you know, the more questionable it is. So I, I, I think in terms of understanding its limitations, you, you really need to uh, do some of the detail work yourself and just let it uh do some of the bigger picture stuff that's been my experience may like really change what the detail work is like because if you can yeah if it doesn't spit out you know the perfect result the first time but you can keep just throwing stuff at it and giving it more context and like no change this tweak that and in 30 minutes you get pretty pretty close to that maybe maybe that's okay because if it's this like ultimate collaborator where I can just keep throwing stuff to the wall and I'll work with chat GPT until it gets there versus, you know, you could do that with a humans where we just can't synthesize new ideas that quickly. That's like, that I guess to the question of how it like affects our day-to-day lives of programming design, does it quickly change things? If like a, a product owner, a product manager can just spitball ideas with chat GPT instead of a developer or designer for an hour and get good enough. Yeah, it's like an accelerator. But I guess, Chris, to your point about the, um, what was the word, the moderation used during the the training, right? Generally, it's pretty polite. I don't know. I I find myself saying please and thank you and, you know, no problem back to the robot who probably doesn't care. Um, It's not going to like push back, like say a developer would. So you're a product manager. You're going to get this great sense of collaboration, this huge velocity. Hey, look what I did. But then when it meets the light of day with, say, a developer who says that's not technically feasible or or another designer who says this is completely, you know, in contradiction to our design guidelines, uh, maybe it turned out not to be good that, you know, that manager was going so fast. I think that's one of the key areas around 
there's there's always with a, a disruptive tool like this, there's a lot of panic that all the jobs are going to go away. And, you know, we, we saw that with many other iterations about website builders and things in the past, but humans are messy and dealing with people. And, you know, we know this in consulting that anytime you talk to somebody, it's very difficult to get from what they first tell you that they want to what they really need and even harder to figure out what is the best path forward for, you know, your market right now, for where your company is positioned. Is this the right thing to do at this time? Do you have the money? And having that experience of dealing with people and like you mentioned, being able to push back against a project manager or C-level executive that has a grand vision, getting that interaction with people is something that ChatGPT is... Until it can get good at that, I'm not too worried about it coming for our jobs. <laughs> That's a yeah. good point. A lot of good product ideas or good ideas in general are nestled in the, the folds of arguments or, or tension. And this thing isn't really going to give you that. I've heard you say, Chris, sometimes, hey, uh, I learned a lot in this, you know, a discovery meeting, you know, talking to a client because I just sat back and watched them argue. And you use that phrasing for humor, but I think you're dead right. When you get two people with very opposing viewpoints talking passionately about, you know, what needs to be done, you'll probably learn a lot more than from a sort of uh, super cooperative, super polite robot. Or even just, yeah, the process of explaining yourself to someone and having to defend uh, why you think the way you think. At least for me, I know I, I, Usually when someone asks me a question, the first thing I want to say is not not right. Maybe that's similar to ChatGPT. Uh, but through the process of talking through that with someone and explaining it to them, I, I gain more clarity around like, okay, yeah, I think I'm I'm better understanding this through the process of explaining it or arguing about it or defending it. Whereas if I just were to say, hey, here's my idea, let's run with it, and then not go through that iterative process, that back and forth. Yeah, it's, it's much less defined, it's much less clear, and it's probably not as good of an idea. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. And, you know, it's, it's easier to think of design as a slightly fuzzy task amenable to a conversational aspect, but a lot of it is actually very precise, right? The button has to do a particular thing or, or the, the workflow has to end in this particular way because that's a legal requirement or whatever. It's certainly, if you if you decide a chatbot's not very good at math, I mean, how good is it at programming, right? I, if, if I look at, some of the things I see people accomplishing, they say, wow, look at this. They, you know, this chatbot wrote this code in like two prompts. And it's like, well, of course it did, because there's 700 samples of it all over the internet. You could have found that code by Googling, you know, write something truly novel. Uh, I actually believe a lot of people will still get to truly novel code by having ChatGPT help with some of the stuff that is more boilerplate. But, you know, I, I would begin to wonder, am, am I actually spending more time because now I have to be so paranoid about the quality of its output when it's in truly novel places. I, mean, I think it's comparable to if I just look something up on Stack Overflow and Google, I still have to question that answer, that source. ChatGPT hopefully is just enabling us to surface that information faster. I mean, yeah, to, to the programming point, it's not building systems yet. You know, it can't spit out an entire application from a few prompts like it's given us pieces and hopefully speeding up the construction of those pieces so that part's kind of exciting in that yeah does it free me up from the tedious work and i can work on all the novel pieces and now build something bigger than i could have alone 
Um, maybe, but then maybe GPT four is where it, it's building the entire <laughs> entire or, networks to take over. Or are you working with it's fever dream where it's spitting out a bunch of code that feels right, and in your dream state it seems right, but then when you actually take a snapshot of it, you know, like its teeth right. and fingers are all wrong, right? And and it wasn't even obvious until you really got into the code that you know your function has six fingers in that very pained metaphor. I gave it a prompt the other day and it invented an entire method and even linked me to the non-existent documentation for that method um, <laughs> to solve a particular problem and things like that. I, I think, you know, in, in our, our hypothetical version four, it could probably correct for things like that, but you still have to be aware and intelligent enough to know when it's right and when it's taking a misstep. Yeah. My fear is not that it's gonna it's gonna outstrip developers anytime soon, but it's just gonna get so easy and cheap to have it write garbage code that it's just gonna flood the zone with more problems. You know? Yeah, it kind of forces the necessity of critical thinking and being able to yeah. ask questions like, okay, this is an answer. It seems to be a good answer, but I still need to assess it and put in the, the effort to say, okay, is this actually the right approach? Is this the right answer? Yeah. But when it, yeah, it's similar to like when someone gives you a confident answer, you're likely to trust it. So there's, there, you know, yeah. having some, some sense of recognizing, okay, this is a tool. It's a valuable tool. It, you know, it is providing value, but I can't lean on it hundred percent to do everything for me. I need to still put in some work and some critical thinking and some effort. Mm -hmm. So it's going to probably come down to credentials and history too. I mean, as consultants, we face this all the time, right? Hey, my name's Jimmy. I'm a great UX designer. I'll give you all kinds of work product and do very clever interviews and, and produce a set of designs for you. Well, guess what? You know, there's millions of those guys. Every kid that, you know, learned uh, Figma last week is a UX designer, right? Our clients face that as a real dilemma, right? Yeah. All these people say they're UX designers. What, you know, what makes us different? And, you know, we have our answer as our company, you know, expert users and complex domains and all that kind of good stuff. But uh, I think it's a similar sort of task, right? Here I have a flood of random stuff from chat GPT. I, I need to be able to discern whether it's, it's good or not. Mm -hmm. I've wondered if the proliferation of chat GPT might stoke the flames of advocates for online real ID systems to say this is a verified real person reviewing this product or selling mm -hmm. their services or whatever, that it's not just something backed by chat GPT or, or reviewing a product based off of generated content. What if that real person is just copying and pasting out of chat GPT? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think blockchain solves that, if I remember correctly. Oh, right. Blockchain <laughs> solves everything, I heard. We'll throw more trendy buzzwords at it. <laughs> it. It does kind of remind me, though, of the, I mean, I've heard the common complaint now that Google is less useful today than it was 10 years ago, because half the results you get is just auto-generated garbage. Yeah. Buzzwords trying to get your attention for, yeah, for ad revenue. Sponsor, Yeah. And I feel like it's the same question. Like when you're flooding the internet with just information, there needs to be some way of, okay, how do you actually find the stuff of value? Yeah, that, that's kind of what, when Phil was talking about Stack Overflow, that's what I was thinking. Like in two years, is he going to go to Stack Overflow and the first 20 things are going to be garbage generated, you know, code mm -hmm. that he has to kind of just spend the time to sift through. Well, I think about that effect a lot with, you know, the obvious question of should we be using this in some of the software we're writing, 
we're writing for our clients. You know, the other day we were talking to a client who works in the wealth management space and wanted our help um, doing some work to help wealth managers just sift through, you know, oceans of data available about all the kinds of investments that are out there so that they can say, oh, you know, my client is an empty nester that has XYZ constraints and this sort of thing, you know, what are good funds for them? And gosh, maybe you should just feed all those thousands of documents into something like Chatbot and have conversation with it and off you go. Except it's real money, it's real plans, and the thing lies. It's an inveterate liar. And so, you know, especially for us at Expiro, focusing on expert users, which have very high, you know, trust thresholds that need to be crossed. Um, I think it's really difficult to imagine how it would go in without a lot more guardrails, which is where I think, you know, the innovation work will have to happen. It's the same thing. I mean, no matter how smart you are, you still have to take some exams before you become a financial advisor. You still need to have someone else check your work because it's real money for real people, right? In, in that example. And even yeah, experts make mistakes. Like everyone yeah. needs feedback and someone else to come along and say, hey, you missed that. Hey, there's a typo or whatever it is. Like there's a little stuff, there's big stuff, but like, yeah, the, the need for those kinds of checks and balances is definitely still there. Yeah, it's like with the chat GPT responses, you kind of wish you could, can you give me like a percentage like confidence or let me just see your work, but it can't because it's just this neural network of 175 million parameters and we don't really know how it did it. It just works that way. That's kind of the challenge there. We sort of have to just like talking to a real human, just trust that they sort of know what they're talking about. Because yeah, it's like you won't get, I guess there wouldn't be a point where you gave me this this answer cite all the sources you pulled in because that's not really how it worked it didn't it didn't really go look everything up and distill it or it'll it just make sort of, up sources yeah or in your case the next the next level it'll it'll now create sources and publish them so it can back itself up <laughs> uh, it brings like putting it in applications like that like embedding it in actual solutions that we deliver super exciting and like we've talked about this before for for years now having this conversational ui drive data analytics instead of making people click around on stuff or you know sort tables or whatever they're going to do but like it brings up all of this liability you know questions that i don't have the answer to you know like if if you put it in your software and your software is you know keeping electrical grids up or whatever and chat gpt freaks out are you liable like what is what where where does the liability begin and end there or just like the ethical implications of putting something that is making decisions on its own uh to such a degree and, and to Phil's point such a black box can't show its work right and and even just recognizing like as I'm sure there have been attempts to make it as neutral and unbiased as possible it's still trained on information and reinforced by people and there's there are going to be biases that creep in and there are going to be want more yeah. one-sided solutions or approaches that, and, and if you can't see where that is, that, that that brings up even more questions around ethics and how to approach it, which is, you know, a huge topic. To Chris's point about um, uh, moderation, I mean, some of that bias is built in very much on purpose. I think most mm -hmm. of us probably agree with the bias that makes sure it doesn't recommend, you know, war or child abuse <laughs> or becoming a Nazi, but like, once you step outside some of the really obvious stuff we all agree on, and, and not on the political stuff we, we're all supposed to disagree on, but yeah, on what is the safest way to run an electrical grid? I'm sure even within that venue, 
there's lots of different philosophies on it. And so if right. you're bringing one of these people in, you're going to have to train it just like you're training an analyst or, or a lineman or whatever around your philosophy uh, of work. You know, we, we wanted a human and dang it, we got a human. Turns out those are hard to deal with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, so you just need to train two versions so you can have the little devil and little angel on your shoulder. You one of them agrees <laughs> oh, with you it. and tells you the right thing to do. And the other one is contrary and tells you the wrong thing to do. And <laughs> let them argue it out. Uh, that's great. Well, I am curious. We talked a, a little bit about like, what are the implications of like, when is it appropriate to use something like this in your work or when is it you know, maybe it's something you can use to supplement, but you still need to have those other conversations with other human beings, or you need to vet it in a certain way. Like, I'm curious, just other considerations around like how to engage with this kind of technology and in the professional world, in the tech world, in the consulting world that we're all kind of in. Thomas and I, I know we both watched this, this video on YouTube, that Tom Scott video, where he's kind of like just having his own thoughts about where we are on this uh, adoption and he re- brings up this really good point that I like that I guess every every like technical revolution is it can be thought of as a sigmoid curve it's it's flatter up front as you know not everyone is caught on in the middle is very rapid increases everyone uh, finds value in it and then it levels off as we kind of hit the end of what the technology is capable of for that instance and it's we're saturation. so yeah, so we're on one of those right now, but it's just like, where are we on that curve? You know, are we already near the top and this is just the going to be another new useful tool or are we like so far at the bottom and we have no idea what's coming? And uh, it's kind of interesting to think because the implications are both scary on either side. On the, the top end, it's like, okay, so that's so bad. I got a nice, like, I got a new version of Siri, you know, to help me out my daily tasks. On the bottom end, it's just like, we can't even envision where it's going because we are we're just scratching the surface. I think the thing that makes this technology novel is the more content it generates and the more people interact with it, the better it gets. And the rate in which it's improving is probably going to increase, but it's already super fast. Just between the first version, second version, and third version. And the fourth version already is like making noise about how it's going to leapfrog a bunch of stuff that the other stuff can't do. I think when you go back, it's instructive to think about like, when do you need to admit that you used it, right? Probably none of us have thought ever about admitting that we used a keyboard to help us write something down, to type it in. Yeah. You know, back in the day, like your secretary would put her initials, because back in the day, it was usually a her, right? Along with yours, you would knew that this person, you know, signed the letter, but it was actually typed in by this person. And that kind of relationship was understood and disclosed. And um, I don't know, I think in some instances, I would only feel comfortable if I told someone, hey, I used chat GPT to put together your recommendation letter, but don't worry, I actually edited it myself. I, I would want to disclose that. I assume we'll get to a point pretty quickly where there's no need to disclose it, just like I didn't need to disclose that I used a calculator to do my physics yeah. homework. Right. I'll disclose that my initial answer to the first question on this podcast was generated by chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I think about that specifically that you know, it's interesting to think about socially, like with my secretary example, but professionally to our clients. If we want to say, you know, here's your statement of work or here's your weekly summary of our progress, do we need to disclose that it's produced by Chat GPT? I think in most cases the answer is no, because we as people are taking full accountability for what came out of that. In other words, I can't go to someone and say, oh, you're right, the budget totals and the characterization of our team's progress were completely wrong. 
stupid chat GPT got it wrong. No, that, you know, that reflects very badly on me. I better take responsibility for that. The whole chain of events that led up to that with interviews and planning software and spreadsheets and everything, chat GPT is just one more tool, you know, that I may or may not have used in there. Yeah, it feels like a lot of the same social norms that you, if I defer this work to another human being, I'm, but I'm going to put my name on it and send it off them. It's assumed I reviewed it and and yes. checked for inaccuracy. It feels like, yeah, well, those norms apply to just using AI and chat GBT is just yet another person on your team now. Mm-hmm. And so I know it's not this talk, but in some ways the image generation stuff is even crazier, like in, mm-hmm. in Blur, some of those lines even more. Like the mid journey stuff is really interesting because it injects like artistic interpretation. It was, it was made to mm-hmm. make art, not like a photorealistic re- reproduction like Dali. Um, can do anyway. It's a retread of the same uh, debates that we're circling around now, but it's it's even more fuzzy in a lot of ways in my mind because of images and images just have different, I, I guess, different connotations to them. You know, but if you go look at the history of how someone got from the first awful rendering to, you know, a picture perfect Harry Truman with a mullet, it's actually a lot of work learning to use that tool properly, just like it is, you know, using oil paints or charcoal or whatever. It's it's just using a tool. Just thank goodness, at least this month of this year, we're not having to argue about whether it's unethical to shut it down. So far, they don't appear to be sentient. So we can just think of them as, you know, tools. Yeah. When they're not, when they're more than tools, this conversation gets a whole lot more complicated. Right. Yeah, and similar to the to the art stuff, image and video generation, and then just like the putting random stuff out there. I feel like there's a similar question to be asked around like the quality of it and the, the utility of it and the you know ethical implications. Because there's always the concerns around, you know, a deep fake video about some political figure or some CEO or whatever saying something. It's like, okay, well, is that real or not? How can we validate that when some of these things are getting so impressive or so convincing you know is it similar questions around like okay well all this content may or may not be true but was generated in a convincing manner there's all sorts of just questions and implications around that that i don't have answers to that you know kind of keep me up at night and open ai is a it's not a not for profit anymore it's a it's a private company and it's not and the code is no longer open source so um so that's another that's another thread on this one and maybe maybe open ai is above board and they always will be but the technology now is out and it's going to become more and more ubiquitous yeah the genie's out of the bottle so i i feel like you at the very least you should learn it use it yourself at least get an understanding of it because yeah it's it's probably not going away yeah learning how to interact with it learning how to think critically about it and Mm -hmm. how to respond to you know what it generates in a way that is thoughtful and rather than just blindly accepting okay it generated it's probably true it's probably right I assume that there's a there's going to be a whole actually we're already seeing some of these but there's going to be a whole flurry of specialized versions of this right mm-hmm. some mini version of it that is an excel function that can't answer questions about you know surrealist poetry but is super super good at you know reading financial statements right. uh, or or some version of this that sits in your development environment right that's much much better at messing with code than the than the average bear i think that's where we'll really see the impact um, as professionals as i assume this stuff will get mixed right in to the tools we're using right now. Yeah, I mean, we're already seeing that. There's that with GitHub Copilot. There's now extensions in uh, VS Code and I'm sure everywhere else that like, yep. it, was it Code GPT? 
you can just go and ask explain this block of code to me generate a, like write a comment and just say generate this function you know and just do it in place it's strange new times figuring out where this fits in in your day-to-day -day workflow i think it's worth what you're saying phil like recognizing hey this is here like it's worth at least becoming familiar with it and learning its limitations and its benefits but there, i feel like there's also going to be a subset of people who are very resistant to it and Know, learning how to navigate that people who you know get very upset when they realize that you use chat gpt to help you know write a letter or, or generate mm -hmm. content of some kind so that you know that brings up a whole other slew of questions on like how to navigate those kinds of conversations and relationships uh, but it's yeah it's it's a strange new world that we're in it seems thanks for connecting with us today if you have a complex software problem that needs solving thoughts on what we discussed today or ideas on what topics we should tackle next, feel free to reach out to us at podcast at experioinc.com or on Twitter at experioinc. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for joining us and we look forward to connecting with you next time. It's going to be cool not to use it and just write crappy text. Once everyone knows how to use it, the rich will have to stop using it. This is an artisanal handcrafted essay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's just like wearing a suit or putting on nice makeup, right? Like we we lie a little bit about what we did to hack the social signals we need to hack. You just got to learn to play the game. I might be a little too cynical to end the podcast on, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs>